0: for those special Sundays. Last week I started talking about the value of values and I spent quite a lot of time just explaining why it's very important for us to know what we count as important in our lives, what's valuable to us and uh, those values that we carry, the things we, we do actually reveal what we believe and what we hold dear. And as a church, Um, We have a set of values that we want to promote in a way within our Context within the way we do church the way we build we want to kind of develop a culture that carries biblical values and that represents some people who are becoming increasingly more and more like Jesus and not just Drifting in the ways of the world or living kind of by the latest pop psychology or self-help guide And as much as I enjoy psychology and I enjoy reading some of those articles that you get on the web or on Facebook, there's a great deal of interesting stuff out there, but none of it goes quite as deep as the gospel goes in terms of addressing a human being. The gospel comes right into the heart and says there's a problem there and there's a solution that God has made for us. And that's why I delight in preaching about these things. That pertain to how we should live because the gospel not only tells us how we should live, but it gives us power. It enables us to do that. God is so good that he doesn't just tell you jump over this bar, some kind of a legal requirement. He comes and he actually lifts you up and helps you get there. He achieves what we can't achieve for ourselves. So even as I share about values, I want to encourage you to see them as something that you can aspire to not just as a self-effort but actually out of the grace of god you can become more than you're actually able to you can become stronger than you actually are because he strengthens us and so um yeah i'm going to pray and then we'll start with some scripture heavenly father help us as your children as we look at your word help us to understand what you require of us but help us also to have faith That we would be able to aspire to and live up to the calling that you've given us. Lord, you've called us into a life which is too big for us. The bar is too high for us. But we know, Jesus, nothing is impossible to you. And so this morning I pray that your grace would be all over us as we hear your word, Lord. Amen. So I would love to talk about character as one of the values exemplary character, that we should become a people of noble character. And uh, this morning, you know, I would also say some of our other values that relate to that is we're a friendly people, a real people and a happy people. Those are some of the values that we carry as a church that that relate to our identity and ourselves but also how we relate to others. So we're concerned about character which is in another term saying, I'm interested in living a a holy or a right life. I'm also concerned that that life is good for others. So there's friendship and authenticity and a sense of joy inside of God's people that we should should be celebrating as a church. You know, the Galatians... uh, when they were falling back into legalism, they were falling back under the law. The Judaizers were trying to persuade them to be religious and put their hope in following some some of the rules of Judaism to find their approval. And Paul wrote to them and he said, what happened to all your joy? That's one of the first signs that you're going into the wrong is when you no longer feel joy in what God's called you to, or you no longer feel joy within His his uh, ecosystem and I, I think that's a bad place to be in you should never come into that place where you think you have to pass that bar for your acceptance where you have to be somehow good enough for god he's already chosen us that's the beauty of the gospel god has chosen us in our sin in our failure in our weakness in our shame while we still enemies with him and then he comes and he calls us and he calls us to be much much more than we we ever could be in our own strength that's a little bit terrifying that journey the justification once you understand it it gives you the security you need because otherwise the idea of sanctification would be overwhelming it would be god i could never be clean i could never make myself good enough i think that that idea that that we have wounds or we have hurts we have sin still dwelling within us it should be quite uh, troubling to a true believer and there was a time when I was much younger and I started to realize that if hurt people hurt people meaning people who have been hurt somehow by life end up carrying baggage or damage inside of them that causes them to hurt others then rather than obsessing only with how hurt I am I have to add to that this, this question of how much damage do I have the potential to do to others. Yeah. I suddenly realized I could, I could hurt other people if, if I don't deal with my own issues. If I keep living in insecurity then I'm going to walk around with a rejection <coughs> complex and when someone actually wants to lean on me I'm going to cave. I'm going to be suspicious or distrustful going to lash out in a way because of that, that stuff that's inside of me. And I realized if, if we have this capacity to hurt others, then it's imperative that we seek to be healed, to be made whole, to, to find in God the things that we need to be able to be better to others. So my opening text, believe it or not, is Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 12. An excellent wife who can find... She is more precious than jewels, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life." That's at the end of the book of Proverbs, it's this this wife that's being described as somebody of of noble character, an excellent wife who can find, this is precious. Because her husband can trust in her, so she's going to do him good. He's not afraid of this woman bringing damage to his world or hurting him. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. So you see that this text for me, I want to apply it way outside of its immediate usage of looking at a at a, a wife and saying this is like important as a character quality and I want to say the same benefit exists for anyone who has noble character. Anybody who develops within themselves noble character will start to be trusted by others like the husband trusts the wife and he knows that she is doing him good and she will continue to do him good all her days. And that's what I want to be to others. I want to be somebody who's got some kind of virtue, some kind of goodness, some kind of noble character that they don't have to feel threatened by me, that my hurts aren't going to hurt them because I've processed those things with Jesus and I would like to be someone who does good to others. But until we then look at character as something that's got to be attended to, maybe we just stay where we're at. So in a sense, I want to join these ideas of personal growth to sanctification and say it's a holy process. It's not just a psychological improvement, it's a holy process that God wants to bring about in His people. In um, the King James Version, that, that verse, Proverbs 31 verse 10 says, who can find a virtuous woman? Just like saying it like that, who can find a good woman? It's rare. That's, that's a bit like, that's a bit hard on the woman sitting here. I mean, to say that there's loads of women out there but who can find a good one? It's effectively saying that most of them are not good. Most of us are not good. The, the, the point of this is that, that, that good is a rare thing, it's, it's, not, it's not there by default, you, you weren't born a good person, you were born with an innate ability to want to like yourself and believe you're good, but when you get more honest you realize actually there's all kinds of junk going on in us, we're not virtuous by nature, we're sinful by nature, we, we actually have within us the capacity to do great harm to other people, you can be mean, You can be jealous, you can be selfish, you can be argumentative, you can be rebellious, you can be unsubmissive as a man too. Men are also meant to submit in this world. There's authority and you can reject it. You can be in a bad relationship with your peers. You can be contentious. That means always wanting to have an argument and always wanting to just push your point. And you can be arrogant. You can be very unpleasant. That's kind of not that uncommon. Most people are actually carrying that stuff as well and so how, how does it work then in God's economy? Like are you just stuck with having to search and search and search until you find a good person? Not at all. The point is that God wants to make us good. David said to God, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. And so when David looked at his state, he was like Paul in in Romans 7 saying, Oh, wretch that I am. Or like that line from the the, the hymn, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wretched man that I am god i'm 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 not clean i'm contaminated in me a clean heart renewing me a right spirit and so god comes and he actually promises to do that he says when you become a believer i'm going to take out this heart of stone this heart of flesh or sinfulness and i'm going to put uh, uh, the heart of sinfulness i should say i'm going to put in a heart of flesh a heart that's alive a heart that's beating instead of your dead heart, the heart that's in sin, your hard heart, your cold heart, and God comes and He does that, and He gives us a new nature. The only problem is, He doesn't immediately kill us. (laughs) That's the only problem. If He immediately killed us, it would all be hunky-dory. It would all be perfect, because you would go from being saved to being with Jesus in heaven, and you could receive your new body. You could receive your crown that you didn't earn and then you lay it down at Jesus' feet. You could go from zero to a hundred and skip all the steps in between. But God doesn't do that. When He saves us, He simply gives us a new heart and the old flesh and sinful nature is still there. And then He starts teaching us through His Word. Put to death, therefore, what is carnal in you. Stop following the lusts of your flesh. Stop obeying the old nature. Those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. He says, you could be led by your flesh or led by the Spirit. You as a being now need to follow Jesus actively the rest of your life as a disciple, who says, I'm going to try to become like you, my master, my new master, Jesus. I want to follow you. And God says, but while you go down that road, you need to also not listen to the voice of your flesh tempting you to sin and this is the, the problem we live with this dual nature if you like the old me the new me and the one is passing away and will ultimately die when this mortal body dies and that's why I, as a believer I look forward to death I look forward to death not because um, I'm crazy I mean, I, I don't look forward to dying, I don't, I don't want to go through old age and pain and suffering and all of that, but I look forward to the end, 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 not the process leading up to it, but the end, end where I finally die because then I am freed from this body that is held captive to some degree to its lusts and its, its weaknesses. Tiredness, grumpiness, boredom, all of those things will be removed. In eternity we're going to not need to sleep we won't have the Sun because God will be the light and God doesn't cease to be light and there's no more night and day there's actually just energy for everything good there's just no grumpiness and tiredness there's no lack of inspiration there's no mental block when you need to be creative in heaven you'll be able to just do all the great things that you're the good part of you now feels frustrated when you can't find the energy or you can't find the motivation or the self-discipline. So look at this, God expects us to, to grow, I mean I'll read a charge that Paul gives to Titus to give to the believers, Titus chapter 3 verse 1, Titus chapter 3 verse 1, I'm going to read all the way to verse 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Oh my, just don't send me in my car anywhere. I get in the traffic and just day before yesterday I was driving down the road and there was this crazy guy, there's there's a column of cars, a queue, a straight line where everybody good is, (laughs) supposedly, and I'm there with the good people and there's this guy who comes down the left side overtaking everyone, basically there's oncoming traffic and he gets right next to me while I'm also moving forward and then he's about to crash head on into the car in whose lane he's driving on the wrong side of the road and he realizes either abuse that guy's car or mine so he just steers towards my car and I must make room for him. Why? (laughs) I'm in my lane. There's even an expression, stay in your lane. I'm in my lane. That guy, there's other words for him. And it says, show perfect courtesy toward all people, and I just blew it by blowing the horn for about 20 seconds and trying as hard as I could to get us, let him have to force his way in and almost scratch his car because my car is tough. <laughs> and then it says right after that, speak evil of no one, and now I'm speaking about him. And you can't win. Avoid quarreling, be gentle, show courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, driving like an idiot, (laughs) slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's an incredible contrast that God expects, a transition from being like those guys who don't care about other people, who live just competing with one another, hating and hating, and and it's just a mess on the one side. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, living for alcohol, living for sex, living for all kinds of false gods that don't actually satisfy your soul. Passing your days that way. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Wow, there's your inspiration. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. I mean, those that was us. Those guys. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly christ our savior so god came to me at some point in my life when i was basically full of all kinds of wrong stuff and not worthy of his mercy and he came and he washed me and regenerated me by his holy spirit he showed me mercy when i didn't deserve mercy The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. That's what Scripture says. Suddenly we see it. Jesus is altogether good and lovely. And then He comes and He gives us. Being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful... To devote themselves to good works. In other words, good living, being of good character. It all works together. You don't just do good works when you stay a bad person. But God comes and he gives you a new heart and says, look how good I am. Now start to live like that. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33, Paul writes, Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. So, there's, a, there's a, a good example and a good action from Jesus. Not only does He show us how we should live, but He comes and He gives us eternal life. He comes as one who is good, who gives mercy and love, and then says, become a merciful, loving person. It's not just that Jesus loves us and gives us His mercy. He says, I'll actually supply you with a heart that would want to be merciful to others and love other people. Now go and live that way. Live empowered. But at the same time, bad company ruins good character, good morals. That's why we can say things like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because outside of Jesus, other people also play a role in our lives. And when we come to Jesus, we have to stick with Him. Which means sometimes leaving behind some of the people that have been bad for us people who are pulling us down people who are corrupting us some of the young guys here will know when you became a christian you entered into a problem where some of your friends want you to do things that you know aren't good for you to party too hard like i'm all for having fun eh? i mean i'm all for having a, a life that has color and meaning but there's a time where god says Those guys are actually just leading you down a path that goes towards trouble and pain and hurt and heartbreak and destruction. Their way of life ultimately is going to pull you down. They don't have respect for authority. They don't have respect for limits. They don't have self-discipline or self-restraint. They love getting drunk, and then they feel miserable about themselves later. They love sleeping around, but then they feel constantly guilty at some other level of their lives. They, They love to claim to be... Uh, free, but they're actually enslaved to those passions. And God says, now bad company will corrupt good character. In his word, he says, you've got to be able to choose now which direction you want your life to go in. Start aligning your life with the right people. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's the counter example. So if bad company can corrupt good character, then good company can improve character. Now you start to see that character, and this is totally agreed on by the psychologists of today, character is shapeable. You aren't stuck in being a bad person if you think you're a bad person. You may have been uncaring up until today, but from tomorrow you can become kinder. You can become more caring. The only thing that can truly motivate that change, though, is the revelation of the ultimate good person, Jesus. And without a vision of Jesus, without us seeing this guy is living the life because he is the person that I should be like, you, you, don't, have, you don't have the right reference point. So iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, in Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the words of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's getting a bit more serious now. Now it says that there are people God's going to put in your life and they're actually going to wound you in a faithful way. Faithful are the words of a friend. So God's going to send somebody good to you and He's going to say, Hey, 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 this isn't, this isn't okay for you anymore. This isn't right for you. You aren't that. You should be this. You, you're looking at things wrong. You should change. How dare you is the modern response to you should change. You notice how the world's view is, don't, don't tell me I'm inadequate. You have to accept me as I am and everything I am, I'm just born this way and you just have to accept it. But that's not, that's like the kisses of the enemy. Yeah. That's, right. that's the kisses of the enemy. It's just say, like, ah, oh, you're great, you're great. Meanwhile, on your own, in private, you, you're miserable. The suicide rate in the communities that are promoting their new identities and freedoms is still higher. Even though they've got more acceptance than ever in Western society, people are not happier in their hearts. You don't find what you're looking for outside of Jesus. Yeah. Right. Without Him, it's, it's still just an empty hole. And so... You need someone who will be in your life who will actually say, hey, you can't just be that. God wants you to be this. I is a guy like that. Yeah. This, this guy I have so much respect for because he has come to interfere in the lives of my children and my own life and other lives. He goes, he even has a go at the other elders sometimes. He'll <laughs> say, you, this and this, you need to be that. And it is the wounds of a friend. Yes. That's faithful, that's saying, I, I'm not saying, settle there. He's saying, you can be better. You can improve. This is how character can be formed. As iron sharpens, iron, there's friction, there's confrontation, there's offense sometimes. And sadly, if you take offense, if the moment he comes to call me out on something and say, ah, you shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that. My first response is just like, who are you to say that? Ah, you, you have no right to criticize me. You're not standing in my shoes. That, that phrase that someone's not standing in your shoes that they can't identify, it's a, a cop out. It's a weak excuse for not growing. But instead, yeah, we hide behind a fence and we say, that guy didn't have the right to say that to me. How dare they? But actually, when you look at the Word of God, we're constantly called to deal with our own selves. Take the speck out of your own eye before you take the log out of someone else's. Oh sorry, it's the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of someone else's eye. And we're called on to deal with ourselves. So if you're not dealing with yourself, you haven't read the scriptures. They say things like, rid yourself of these things and then list a whole bunch of stuff. And do these things and then lists a whole bunch of good stuff Uh, It speaks in scripture about Vessels that are prepared for use Vessels of honor that have been washed clean and so when I realized God could use me Then I started going to him to say God prepare me God wash me God search my heart see if there's any wrong way within me and then lead me in your paths and in your ways That I was doing as like an 18-year-old, and I've never stopped because there's always stuff that God has to dredge out of our hearts and call us to repent of. And so I I see this not as self-improvement, but more like a kind of surrendering to God and saying, God, I want you to scrutinize my soul. I don't just want you to improve my personality. I don't want you to just teach me how to win friends and influence people so I can be a better salesman. I want you to look deep into the heart of me and show me where the junk is. And then I want to bring that junk and just lay it at the foot of the cross. And that's, that's very, very difficult to do. And it's even harder when God sends someone to act as the catalyst. When God sends somebody to be the one that sh- somehow stirs up the junk within you and provokes you. But you know what? If God says that you could prepare yourself for service by allowing Him to plumb the depths of your soul and to find the waywardness in you and that you would repent of it and you would set yourself apart to Him to do these things in your life ongoingly. The fact that He calls you to do that means it's possible. It means it's possible to dredge the junk and clean the silt out of those places. And you know what? When you look at a passage of scripture like 1, Timothy 3, and you read about elders and deacons, and it lists these character qualifications The elder should be this, this, and this, not drunk, given too much wine, or able, self-disciplined, and his children should be in order, and deacons likewise. And if all these things are character issues, it's amazing. Because what we do is, we always look at the other things. We say, what about the gifting? You've got to have the skill or the talent or the gift. But those things are far harder to, to, to change, actually. Like, I, if I'm not musical, I'm probably not going to become musical. And if I'm short, I'm never going to be tall. Scripture is very clear about that one. It says, "Who of you, by being anxious about you know adding an inch to your height, you know, could do it? You can't. You can't change that part of who you are." So, when God says, "I'm looking for qualities in you in order to use you," He's not coming to you and saying, oh, "But sorry, you're disqualified because you're too short, or you're disqualified because you're too dumb." Or you're disqualified because you have blue eyes. Or you're disqualified because you're white. Or he doesn't look at the things that you can't change. He looks at the things that you can change. And those character qualifications can be developed in someone. And they're not, therefore, just for deacons and elders. In 1 Timothy 3, when you read it, you shouldn't go and read that as a list of things just for being a leader in the church. You should look at it as what every Christian should be. And effectively then God's saying through Paul to Timothy, when you choose people to serve me, choose the ones that have processed the junk out of their lives. Choose the ones who took seriously the reformation that I want to bring in their character. Choose the ones that submitted to the attrition, the hard blows of iron sharpening iron. Choose the ones who have suffered because suffering has produced character in their lives. And character gives them hope. And choose the ones that have made it their business to repent and renounce. And I can't think of another R. Yeah, to rid themselves. Thanks, babe. To rid themselves of those things that God doesn't lack in them. For me, I feel like it's an imperative that believers attend to character. There's a priesthood of all believers, but not all of us are actually wanting to make ourselves ready for God's use. We're all priests, according to the New Testament. We're a priesthood of all believers, so to make yourself ready for God's use isn't to make yourself uh, go to Bible school and then try and become a preacher. I mean that might be your calling but it's probably not. Your calling might be to be a school principal or to be a teacher or a bus driver. I I don't know. Those things are equally noble if you have become of noble character and if you're saying where I go now I'm going there to do people good, to be a person like the Proverbs 31 woman. So. Where am in my notes? My notes aren't exactly that great at the moment. Let me wrap up there. I just want to, wanted to put that forward to you, that this idea exists that we could become holy. God himself says in his word, be holy because I'm holy. And then when we, we look at it and we say, but that's not me. I'm a sinner. I don't know how to be that. You look at your past and you say, I was raised like this and this is who I am. And God doesn't stop there. God simply says to you that I can grow you. I can lead you. I can change you. I can transform you from one level of glory to another. And you have to have faith that says, God, I want you to mess with me. I want you to change me on the inside more and more. I want you to sanctify me. I want you to purge me and purify me. And that will include things like a heart that tends towards inconsistency or unfaithfulness or instability. It will include addressing issues where you feel like I'm an angry person or I have a short temper. God will come and say, no, you can grow in these areas. You can deal with some of these things about yourself. Now I stand here as a a 51-year-old guy and I can promise you when I look back at myself as a 20-year-old, passionate for Jesus but not at all the same as I am today. God has changed my life over three decades, three decades and I feel like I'm just beginning. I feel like this is never going to end, that's why I look forward to dying because I know finally then I can rest in peace. Actually it's not rest in peace really so much as going to party in heaven, shouting with the angels and rejoicing in God. But that striving with myself will be over. But until then we should strive to put to death that which is sinful in us and to cultivate that which leads us to be good people. So you might look at yourself and think, ah man I'm just a lazy slacker. No. You are now, but you don't have to stay there. God can change you. You could say, I'm never going to be a punctual person. Do you want to honor people by being on time? Then grapple with that issue before God. Say, God, give me more grace to understand how to live differently. Ina's like that too. Very proactive about saying these are the things that need to be sorted. Probably made lists. Probably wrote it down. I don't know. Well, I definitely have at times journaled and said, God, these are the things I'd love you to work on in my soul. And Jesus comes as a great physician, as a perfect doctor, as a surgeon, and he cuts, and it hurts, and you bleed, and you heal. And then he sends someone who doesn't look anything like him, and you just want to punch them. But then he says, that's me working through that person to put salt in that wound. I want to deal with this thing today. And He works on us. Do you want God to work on you? Yeah. Do you want God to wrestle with you and win? Yeah. Why don't you stand and I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we stand before you, we come as a people who are far from complete works. We're far from holy. We have character issues and deficiencies but Jesus you are alive, Jesus you are at work in us, Jesus you will never stop because you said you are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the beginning and the end, you are the Alpha, the Omega, you are, you are the bookends and in the middle Lord there is sometimes chaos and I ask God come into our chaos and change us. Come into our souls and shine light on the things that you don't like in us and help us to repent of them. Come into our insecurities and comfort us with the assurance of your consistent, unchanging love for us. For those of us who need to hear your adoption is complete and certain forever, God, speak those words to us that make us stand firm in your family. We want to live as sons and daughters, Lord. We don't want to act our whole lives like we're orphans and and former slaves, Lord. We want to live as sons and daughters, And so, God, won't you come and affirm our hearts this morning with your love and your commitment to change us from one degree of glory to another. If the musicians come up, let's uh, get ready to worship the Lord some more. (coughs) Father, as we get ready to worship, I ask you to speak the words of love and hope. Not condemnation, but a call, a call to something greater, Lord. Lord, when I looked as a young person at my life and I said, this is not something you can accept, I'm not someone you can accept. You said to me that you accept me, that you receive me not based on my own merits, but based on Jesus. From there, Lord, I discovered a love that I could count on, that was prevailing and and, and never changing. And Lord, as your love has been the bedrock of my life, I thank you that you've given me grace to grow up more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. And I pray for each one of us to decide today that that's what we want. We want to be growing up into the image and likeness of Christ. Help us, Lord.